Thank you for listening to the All Souls Church Sermon Podcast. We are a counterformational community devoted to following Jesus together in real life. For more information, go to allsouls.church. All Souls Church, hey, Pastor Harvey here. I've missed you for the past couple of weeks. I haven't preached for a couple of weeks now, and I'm excited to be back in the pulpit preaching today. Uh, we are in the second week of our fall series called Making Sense of the Nonsense. And last week, Pastor Justin opened up uh, basically a framework of what it means to have a Christian worldview, how to view the world through a Christian lens. And then now we're going to be getting into 11 topics that are very much hot-button topics within our culture, the types of things that people are talking about. Sometimes they might be objections to Christianity, or and other times it might be uh, something that Christianity holds that is different than this world. But each week we're looking at something a little bit different, and today we're going to look at what is called the problem of evil, or theodicy, which is basically the idea that is uh, that is the biggest question probably that most non-Christians have, and that's this. If there's a good God, then how come there's so much evil in the world? So we're going to be looking at the concept of evil today, and to do that, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at that text there. We're going to look at a couple of texts in Genesis, and we're going to be looking at what evil is, how evil got here, um, and some of the questions that we might have around evil, how we respond to evil, and also what God is doing about evil. So anyway, let's uh, go ahead and get into it. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 24. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you tell us those things that we need to know to navigate this world. And Lord, as we talk about evil, we do pray that you would guard us from the evil one. We know that he doesn't want his ways to be exposed. And so God, we ask now that you would lead us by the power of the Holy Spirit to understand what you're saying to us. And we pray it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
uh, one of my uh, jobs at our house is is to uh, kind of clean out the fridge, uh, especially those things that have an expiration date or things that might get moldy. Now, this isn't officially my job. Nobody's ever said it's my job. It just kind of became my job because I'm the only one that ever pays attention to what is going on in the fridge. Uh, for whatever reason, the three women that live at my house just kind of stuff things in the fridge and and often you will find things in the back of the fridge if I haven't checked it in a while that the expiration date uh, is long past and oftentimes we'll miss the fact that the expiration date is long past and there's been situations where we have poured uh, milk in it, uh, expired milk into things that we shouldn't have or somebody started eating something that they shouldn't have because it was expired and uh and so anyway, the, I, I make it a practice on a pretty regular basis to kind of clear out what is going on in the fridge. But one of the things that I was thinking about for this particular sermon is that, you know, uh, all of those things have an expiration date. In other words, they are perishable. Uh, they don't last forever. Uh, they have a, a, time, a time period where they can uh, exist in a way that could be good, uh, edible, good for you. And in the same way, evil has an expiration date as well. Uh, it is only it can only exist for a certain time period, and at some point it's going to be taken out and thrown away, and it's not going to be part of the reality of uh, the world. It's not going to be part of the reality of the universe anymore. It's going to be eradicated and erased. But until then, we are living in the time period where evil is prominent everywhere. Uh, just take your own heart and your own lives. I mean, think about the sadness that you carry, the weight that you carry. Uh, think about the, the desperation that you carry, the fact that everybody you know is struggling and suffering. And might, maybe not every single day, there are good days and bad days, but everybody is struggling. Everybody feels the weight. And everybody no matter who you talk to, everybody has this sense within them that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. Like that things should be different. I should be different. They should be different. The world should be different. And it's not. It's broken. We all understand that. Henry, Henry David Thoreau, who was not a Christian at all, um, and really had kind of a philosophy of self-sufficiency, a kind of anti-God philosophy, he actually got it very right when he said this, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. Why? He's right about that. Why? Because of evil. Evil is all around us. As beautiful and as good as this world is, we also know that it's very broken and that evil is everywhere. Uh, Plato once said this, Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. So even here, these two non-Christian guys, two great maybe philosophers in, in various different ways, they understand the weight of evil and they understand that everybody is bearing it. There's no doubt that evil is part of the world. Uh, we, we just talked about how it's inside of us and, and around us, but it's everywhere as well in, in, the, in the larger world. I mean, think about mass shootings, evil, systematic racism. It's nothing but pure evil. Uh, systematic poverty, billionaire greed, human disease, human actions that are destructive, 
natural disasters in a creation that is broken by the evil that is in this world. Sex trafficking, the exploitation of human beings for use as objects. That's evil. Abuse of all kinds, sexual abuse and physical abuse and child abuse. Uh, The fact that humanity cannot escape abusing one another, that it's happening all the time. And that's not even to mention the great travesties of the world. Uh, War and genocide. Evil is everywhere. There's no question about it. We all understand it and we all know it. So what do we, how do we make sense of it? How do we make sense of the nonsense that is all around us? Because everybody understands there is evil, but not everybody responds to evil in the same way, and not everybody thinks about evil in the same way. And there are very nonsensical ways in which many people in this world approach evil, not because they're worse than us as Christians or something like that, but simply because they just don't know. They're trying to make sense of the world. Let me give you a few. Um, One response to evil, one nonsensical response to evil is is the response of, we're going to fix it. We're going to fix this world. We're going to change this world. We're going to be the ones that are going to do it. And and so people try to do it through, you know, political world leaders. And man, if we can get the right people in the right places in office and the right decisions are made and the right laws are passed, we can fix this place. We can make it where it's not so evil. Uh, there, people have also tried to do it through religion and religious leaders as well. If we can just get the right formula uh, around religion and the right practice, and we can just get it all right, and we can adjust everything and get our character straight, and then we can finally maybe eradicate evil. This whole we can fix it thing also finds itself in our homes. I mean, we can't even fix the problems in our families and in our homes, not perfectly. I mean, we can grow and we can tweak things, but we all know that evil will continue to exist and corrupt things all around us. Another thing is, uh, uh, so that's one way, we're going to fix it. And that's a, that's a response that's nonsensical because it doesn't work. Another nonsensical approach to evil is this. There is no God, and so therefore there is no evil. And there is no good. And this is a really hopeless kind of view of the world, but some people have looked at the world and seen the evil and said, wow, that doesn't make sense to me. There cannot possibly be a God. But then the thing that they have to struggle with is this. If I say there is no God, then there is no good and there is no evil. So some of these things I feel are evil. Are they really evil? C.S. Lewis, before he became a Christian, he, he talked about his experience when he was looking into Christianity and fighting against it. Uh, he said this, My argument against God was that the universe seemed cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. 
What C.S. Lewis found is that when he said, well, there's evil in the world, so there cannot be a God, then he realized, wait a minute, evil has no meaning and good has no meaning if there is no God. And he finally discovered that actually the thing, the way in which he tried to handle evil pointed him to the reality of God as an atheist at that time. And another response, nonsensical response to evil is, is to say, ah, good and evil are relative. Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. You think how you want to think and I'll think how I want to think. But that's nonsensical too. Because this person might say, well, this is evil. And this person might say, well, that is good. And eventually those things are going to come in conflict with each other. And so truth cannot possibly be relative and be true at the same time. It's not possible for me to have a truth and you to have a truth and everybody just has their own truth. Truth, There's either truth or there's not. Other people try to make sense of evil by saying God was not able to stop evil. He wanted to. I mean, he's good, but he just didn't have the power to do it. Or sometimes they'll throw in something like this. Oh, it's because of human free will. God, you know, didn't want to violate human free will. He didn't have the power to. And so in that scenario, there's something bigger, more powerful than God. And but and so in trying to not put the blame on God, you actually end up with a God that is false, not the God of the Bible. Some, very few, have actually come to the conclusion that because there's evil in the world, that there is a God, but he's just not good. This is the route that, that some have taken and said, and, and they hate God. And because of the evil that is in the world, and specifically the pain that they might be feeling. Uh, finally, the, a lot of the Eastern religions will say, you know, evil is just an illusion. It's not real. You can be above it. If you sit and meditate and kind of bring yourself to this, this place of, of pretending as if this world is not real. So it, it's a way to detach from reality to deal with evil, and that is not possible either. The final way that I want to give you is a nonsensical way people approach evil is to say that evil is the people who don't agree with us. In other words, evil is those people over there. So we're the good people, they're the bad people, that's evil. The reason why there's evil in the world is those people, those ideologies, those ways of thinking. And if everybody would just think the way that we think, then evil would go away. And that also is nonsense as well. The Christian view of evil is this. Evil eventually expires. It has a time period to exist. It has a time period where it can, uh, can exist. But it hasn't always existed. It, it, it's an intrusion. And it will not always exist. It, God will finally eradicate it. But he has chosen not to eradicate it now. And here's why. God chose redemption instead of destruction. God could have responded to evil by just destroying everything. But instead, he looked into the face of evil and decided to bring redemption, healing, forgiveness, change. Okay, so let's go ahead and look at the text of Scripture and explore both how evil came into the world and how uh, we can rightly respond to evil and false ways of responding to evil. So we read in Genesis 3, but I want to go back real quick to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And there it says this, 
The Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made up to spring every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So even in this creation that we live in, there was a time where evil was not part of the creation. There was perfection. There was beauty. Everything was as it was supposed to be. Uh, in the Bible, this is called shalom. Uh, everything as it ought to be. Uh, sometimes it's translated peace, but it's the idea of everything as it ought to be. And this is where the first humans lived. They lived in this place of paradise. They lived in this place of perfection where evil had not yet intruded on the world. Now, also in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 15, it says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there, there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. At this point, the only thing humans knew, the only thing creation knew was good. And there was a tree that brought knowledge of good and evil. And God said, I don't want you to have knowledge of evil. So don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God put a command, a command of protection uh, to keep them in a place without evil. He knew that that would usher in evil, that, would, that rebellion would usher in evil. And really, it's not just the tree, but it's the turning away from God that brings evil into the world. And so uh, this was a time period where everything was as it was supposed to be, but there was still the potential that evil could enter in because of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now verse 20, The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper for fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he, when he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So what has happened here, God brought all the animals to Adam. Adam named all the animals, saw all the beauty of God's creation, but still felt there is something missing. I, I, and God provided him a partner, a, a helper. And out of his own rib, God, uh, God took and put him to sleep and created a woman, a partner for him. So now, not only is he in paradise, not only is he in paradise with all of the animals, not fallen animals, but animals who are not corrupted by any form of evil. And he is also in a marriage with a woman that he loves, and she is not corrupted by evil, and he is not corrupted by evil. They have perfect union and perfect relationship. And uh, I like how when he sees her, he says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So, you know, when all the animals were parading through, he was happy for them. But he was like, no, this isn't, this isn't it. This is what I'm looking for. As much as I'm sure he liked horses and aardvarks, he didn't want to marry one. Uh, but when he saw the woman, he said, woman. <laughs> and he, he, he said, this, this is paradise. This is what I was longing for and God had provided. And then it says this. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh in this part. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So not only were they physically naked, but they were spiritually open 
They could completely be themselves because there had not been any evil that had entered the world. So the first thing that we need to understand when we think about evil is to understand that evil has not always existed and that there was a time when things were good. You know, all of us, we, we experience evil, we see evil, we do evil, and we, and we think to ourselves like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, almost every day I'm like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Things are not working the way they're supposed to work. But here's the reality. I have only lived and you have only lived in a reality corrupted by evil. Why is it that we have a deep longing that things should be another way? Because we've never seen it another way. We've only seen it with corruption and evil. Well, I think what's going on here is this, that humans carry a memory of Eden deep inside their psyche, deep inside their DNA. Uh, even though we have never been there, we have ancestors who have been there, and we know that, that this world was once right and good. And so when we experience evil, we said, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. So this is why we have an expectation and a longing for things to be whole, because we know there was a time, deep down, we know there was a time when things were whole, when shalom was written on the human heart and everything was that was supposed to be, and evil had not yet corrupted the world. So then how does evil enter into the world? Well, Genesis chapter 3, we read a little bit of it earlier, but I want to kind of skip through Genesis chapter 3 to give you a few pictures of what is going on and how evil enters into the world. Uh, the part that we read a little bit ago was, was the scene where Adam and Eve, uh, they run into the serpent. Later in the Bible, we discover that the serpent is Satan, the fallen angel that had rebelled against God. So the first thing that we have to see is this that the original evil actually wasn't humans. There was an original evil before humans with a fallen angel. And that fallen angel rebelled against God, took, we find in the New Testament, a third of the angels with him in rebellion against God. And now the rebellious angels are trying to corrupt humanity and trying to corrupt the world because they hate God and they hate humans because humans are created in the image of God. And they want the humans to join them in the rebellion against God. And so they trick the first humans. So let's look at it. Um, so Satan in verse 1 says in chapter 3, God, Did God actually say to you, shall not eat of the tree of the garden? In other words, he's calling God into question. So the first thing that we see this evil creature doing is questioning God. And this is really the essence of evil, to question the Creator, to question the God who made us. Well, the woman said to the servant, Oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, what's interesting about that is God never said you can't touch it. He just said you can't eat of it. But this is kind of how humans work. When God says something, we think we can improve on His law, and so we add a little something to it. So already, uh, there's a little legalism coming in, and this might even be part of the first sin. It's establishing independence from God by saying, your command is not good enough, I'm going to add some more to it. So there might have been a little bit of sin before the great sin in, in some way, but uh, we don't know for sure. Verse 3, but God, um, uh, verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die God, no, just please stop with that. God is lying to you, in other words. 
He questions God's word. Watch this. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan only has one strategy, to question what God's word says. If he can get us to question God's word, he can influence us with evil as he does here with Eve. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed thick leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It says their eyes were opened. Now usually that would be a good thing, but this was different. Their eyes were open to evil. Evil had entered into their hearts. Evil had now entered into the creation. And this moment, when evil enters into the creation, leads to every other evil that comes into the creation for the rest of time. Now, this isn't the only sin, and we might look at it and go, well, that's not fair. They sin and we get the consequences. But the the reality is, it didn't just happen, it happens, right? Like, if you were in that situation, you would have done the same thing. And the reason why I know that is because I would just look at your life. <laughs> we make decisions of evil just like they made decisions of evil. We are culpable for evil just like they are culpable for evil. And that's one thing we have to understand is that evil is not just something that is happening to us. It is. But evil is something that we as human beings participate in and make this world more and more broken when we participate in it as well. So uh, Adam and Eve go run and they hide from God. And God comes to them and says, where are you? Now God's not asking where are you because he doesn't know what their location is. He's God. He's asking a deeper question. Where are you? And where are they? They are now in evil. (laughs) They are now corrupted by evil. And this evil is going to lead to the breaking of the entire world. Um, Now, in the the text here, we find that the evil leads to some curses, that they bring curses upon themselves. The woman is going to have curses in childbearing. She's going to have curses in child-rearing. But she's also going to have curses, a curse from the standpoint of always being under the thumb of a man says there in the text. In other words, uh, men are going to be domineering with their power and their strength because now the power and strength that God gave to men to care for creation, now they use that power and strength to domineer over the woman. And the woman's desire will be to be, have equality and be over, but the man will domineer. And this is basically how evil has worked throughout human history. As many strides as we're trying to make in, in our culture now, We're not going to be able to fix all these problems because it's deeply ingrained in the curse. And then for Adam, he says, look, everything you do is going to be cursed. Everything you work on is going to be broken. There's always going to be thorns. There's always going to be brokenness. It's never going to go exactly as it's supposed to go. Um, You're going to have to work with sweat and pain. And so evil begins to corrupt and come into this world. And then finally, verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now let us, re- now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent them out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground 
from which he was taken. He drove out the man to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So God removes them from paradise, partly because if they eat of the tree of life while they're in a fallen condition, they're eternally in that condition, so it's an act of God's mercy. But now we're removed from the place of paradise, and now we move east, we're east of Eden, and in the Bible, east is always a movement away from God. And now evil has corrupted humanity, and the story continues. And so every bit of evil that has happened in the history of the world flows from these moments here that we're talking about. Now, <clears throat> Scripture teaches that evil entered the world through demonic and human rebellion. So the first thing that we have to understand is, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, you know, why did God allow evil? That's a good question. But we do have to first understand that God did not initiate evil. God did not cause evil. God was not the, the one who did the evil itself. That was fallen angels and fallen humanity that did the evil. The only thing God does with the evil, is He begins to respond to it with redemption. And then people ask the question, well, why did God allow it? Which is a very complicated question that has a hundred answers, but there's also so much about it that there's no way we will know. One of my favorite texts in the Bible when it comes to these sorts of questions is Deuteronomy 29.29. It says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children. So God has revealed many things to us, but not everything to us. He's told us what we need to know. We're on a need-to-know basis with God. And so some of our questions around, well, why didn't He stop it? He doesn't give us the specific answer we want. And I don't know whether it's because we can't handle uh, that reality or we can't comprehend it with our fallen brains or He just didn't want us to know for His own purpose. I don't know what it is. But I do know this. A lot of times we ask the question, why? And God has not given us the why. He says the things, the secret things belong to me. The things that are revealed belong to you. What is revealed we find in here. And the thing that is revealed is this, that evil is evil, that evil was initiated by uh, fallen angels and humans, and that God's response to evil is to redeem, to heal. So every time you feel yourself going, saying, well, why did he even allow it in the first place? Just first know that He doesn't give you that answer. But second, the answer that He does give you is that I will fix it, I will redeem it, I will heal it. Now, that puts us in a position where we live now, where there is evil in our world. And <clears throat> there's all kinds of, you have to respond to evil because it's always there. So there's all kinds of false human responses to evil. I just want to give you uh, three. One false human response to evil is hate. In other words, uh, blame everything on your enemy uh, and hate that person. So but because we're experiencing evil, there, there seems to be like this other force where we can hate, which is an evil of itself, but it helps us to feel better because it directs our frustration towards somebody or something that we feel that we're punishing to hate them. And so this is a false human response to evil, to loathe someone, to hate them, to, to hate a group of people or whatever it might be. Uh, and what happens is they become less human in your eyes 
every single day, corrupting you more and more and more and more, making you evil. So that's a false response to evil, to hate, because all it does is it makes you more evil and you find yourself entrenched even deeper in evil. Another response to uh, evil, uh, not just in Christianity, but in lots of religions of the world and lots of secular states, is, is some kind of purity seeking. In other words, the problems are uh, this evil stuff, it's because things aren't pure. So we're going to create a culture, we're going to create a country, we're going to create a whatever, a family, a church, or whatever, we're going to, that is hides from the evil. We're going to go over here and create an enclave, a fortress against the evil. And, and we, won't, we won't have to deal with, with what is out there. But that is also a false way to deal with evil. Here's the reason why. The thing you're ignoring is that the evil is in here. And if you create the little fortress, the evil is in here. And the evil, the way that it works itself is through making these people in the little enclave or fortress feel that they're superior to the other people. And they become more and more corrupted by their own indulgence in running from the world. In running to some kind of purity. So that's also a false way to respond to evil. Another, the final one I'll give you on a false human response to evil is control. We will control the situation. We won't allow evil to happen. And this happens through, you know, you see it in the history of the world with dictators. The reason why a dictator rises to power is because they give a vision of, I'm going to eradicate the evil. I'm going to make it all better. Follow me. And so they give all of this influence and power to a corrupt human being. And that, and that human being lies to everybody saying, I'm going to fix it myself through power and control force. And of course, what it does is it just compounds and leads to more evil to the people that they hurt and the people inside as the people are corrupted by their own self-righteousness. Right? This can play out in your family. You try to control your family. This can play out in a nation. You try to control the nation. Uh, These are false responses to evil. They're attempts to try and fix evil, but they're false. But there's also false Christian responses to evil. And this is super important. Those of you who are Christians, you need to understand there are many false ways in which Christians respond to evil that are anti-God, anti-biblical. Let me just give you a couple of them. One is greed. And this we see in uh, what is called the health and wealth gospel. You see it with most of the TV preachers, but it's also, uh, unfortunately, the health and wealth gospel spreading in different parts of the world as well. And this is what the health and wealth gospel says. There's evil. And we're suffering. And so here's the deal. God wants to take the evil away from you. God doesn't want you to have to deal with evil or live in evil. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, and He wants all the effects of evil to go away from you. So in other words, what the health and wealth gospel does is it trades the real gospel for trying to find some sort of peace on this earth through materialism, uh, through uh, you know, self-actualization uh, through health, whatever it might be, trying to find this way out of evil. And what it eventually becomes is this way of just kind of ignoring evil and indulging yourself in the fruits of the flesh, in materialism and greed, and it corrupts you. So that's a false Christian way to respond to evil. Another false Christian way to respond to evil we're seeing all over the country right now, mostly with white evangelicals. And that's this. It's called Christian nationalism. And this is the idea that uh, the way we're going to push back evil 
is we are going to get the right people in office, we're going to get the right laws, and we're going to force people to obey things, or we're going to send them to jail, or we're going to kill them. We're going to rule over this place with Christian morality. We need to fix this place. And so uh, what happens is evangelicals begin colluding with one party and corrupt politicians and even politicians that are anti-Christian in everything they do and every way they operate because they want to have power. Because they think if we have power, we can eradicate evil. And that, again, is a false way to respond to evil. It's not dependent on God. It's all about human glory. Another false way that Christians respond to evil is to hide, to hide from the world. And so what Christians do is say, we're going to have not only our church, but we're going to have our Christian groups and our Christian music and our Christian movies and our Christian this and our Christian that. And while, while there are many good things that Christians do in many of these realms, if the reason why creation, Christians create things is to stay away from the people that are in the world they consider evil, the only thing you end up doing is allowing evil to flourish out here without any truth and then you end up corrupting yourself by disobeying God in an enclave, hiding from where God has sent you to go, and then turning in on each other in self-righteousness, bent in on each other, focused on each other, thinking yourself to be very right. And actually, throughout history, the Pharisees in Jesus' time being one of the examples of this, the, most, the, the greatest evil that has happened in the history of the world has often been by people who seek to be religious and set apart and holy, and we're over here and there, over there. So that's a false way as well. So one more false way in which Christians respond to evil is that we are going to fight. We're going to fight. We're going to take this country back. We're going to fight to get our way. We're going to get fight to get prayer in schools. We're going to fight to get Ten Commandment monuments. We're going to fight against everything that we think is wrong. We're going to fight against you. But here's the reality. Christianity is not a posture of against. Jesus doesn't have a posture of against the world. He's for the world. He wants to heal the world. So any perception of Christianity is about fighting Evil, one, ignores the fact that evil is in the Christian heart. Evil is in the Christian church. But also ignores the fact that God has sent us to be redemptive in the world and not just to uh, fight and, and hide. Because fighting just leads to more violence and more evil and Satan wins and it compounds. So what should we do? If those are all false ways to respond to evil, what is the right, what is the Christian way to respond to evil. Well, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I want you to see the way in which God responds to evil, and this is also the way we respond to evil. Let's first look at how God responds to evil. Genesis 3, 15. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Okay, so there is now going to be this battle between good and evil, and it's going to happen in the realm of um, the way in which Satan will constantly be hating and attacking humans, and humans are um, get caught up in Satan's trap. Uh, but listen to this. 
I'm going to put uh, this enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And then it says this. It's talking about like offspring in general. And then it says this. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, he's talking to Satan. He says, you're going to bruise his heel. He, this one, when he comes. In other words, you're going to get a shot in. You're going to actually be able to damage him. But when you try to damage him, he's going to crush your head. So you'll bruise him. But in the act of you bruising him, he will destroy you. So here is the Christian secret of how we face evil. We face evil by taking a posture where it seems that evil may be won. We face evil by allowing evil to attack us. We don't retaliate. We don't come with anger. We don't come with hatred. We don't come with power. We don't come with control. Jesus defeated his enemies by laying his life down. You see, God knows that the deeper magic from the dawn of time is to defeat evil by using evil schemes against itself. The devil was so driven to kill Jesus that he didn't understand that if he killed Jesus, he would lose his power. And Jesus knows that it will be through the laying down of his life that evil will be destroyed. Now, could Jesus have just said, boom, go away evil and just destroy everything and evil is gone? Yes. But he chose instead of destruction, he chose redemption. And this means he, God came down into the evil. He bore the evil on himself. He let the evil attack him and beat him down and drive him to the cross and ultimately kill him. And it is through that that he conquered evil. And then look at verse 20 and 21. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Earlier in the story, they tried to take fig leaves and cover themselves. And that wasn't working. So what God does is he makes a sacrifice. He sacrifices an animal and clothes them in the animal's skins, saying, look, the fig leaves won't do. I'm going to have to cover you. I'm going to cover you through a sacrifice. And through sacrifice, I'm going to heal you. You see, God has always said right here from the beginning, from Genesis, the way in which he was going to save the world, the way he was going to overthrow evil is to let evil seem like it won for a little while. God chose the path of forgiveness, of subversive love, rather than the path of destruction. It's such a beautiful picture of how God works and saves. So if that's how God destroys evil, how do we? How, what do we do in response to evil? Which is very similar. The Christian response to evil, just like God's response to evil, is forgiveness. When God saw the human race in their evil and in their continual rebelling against Him, day after day, year after year, generation after generation, century after century, millennium after millennium, men rebelling against God, participating in evil, and God in His mercy stands there with forgiveness to say, I will forgive, because the way in which He will overcome evil is through love. The way he overcomes evil is through forgiveness. 
And this is not something the evil was expecting. Yet this is how he won, and this is how we win. We overcome evil through forgiveness. You know, Jesus talked about if someone strikes you on the right cheek, what do you do? You turn to them the other cheek and let them slap that one too. Why? You have a momentary bit of pain and humiliation by being slapped, but that person will forever remember your love. And that is what will give them hope. And that is what might lead them to true love in the cross, in Jesus. We could, in many of Jesus' teachings are teaching us this. That our way is not to fight, not to be against, not to stand, not to control, not to hide, but to love. And this is how we overthrow evil in this world. We do it through service. We fight for humanity. And we fight for the parts of humanity that hate us. We fight for the parts of humanity that disagree with us. We fight for the parts of humanity that reject Jesus. We don't fight them. We fight for them. And this is how we overthrow evil. We do it through love. And the best way I can think about love is is grace. It's to not give people what they deserve and instead give them what they don't deserve. To bless, to bless this evil world, to bless evil people, to bless your enemies, to love your enemies. This is what Jesus taught us to do. And this is how we overthrow evil. And this is how he overthrew evil. And we do it through sacrifice. We defeat evil in the human world by the way of the cross. That's how Jesus did it. By laying down his life, by going to the cross. Well, in the same way, we take that path with Jesus and we lay down our life and we go to the cross and we give up our rights and we die to ourselves and we live to him and we bless the world. And that's how evil is overthrown. John Stott, who is one of my favorite writers and authors, he died a few years ago. He pastored All Souls Church in Langham. In England, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to name this church also church. I always thought that was such a great name for a church. He said this um, about this whole reality of evil and and um, God's love and how God works to overthrow evil. Such a great quote from him. He said, "I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it?" I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of His. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross that symbolizes the divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But, but to our wounds, only God wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. That's the reality of it all. 
We have a God who entered evil, who entered suffering. So in our daily struggle with evil, in our daily battle with suffering, we can know that we have a God who's not immune to suffering, and instead a God who took on suffering. So God's way of dealing with suffering was to come enter into it bravely, to lay down His life to heal it, to break the chains. God's way is, is far beyond and so different than the world's way of handling problems and handling evil. And yet God's way brings about the redemption of the world. So the problem of evil, the, the nonsense around evil, is healed through the gospel of Christ. And this is why Christianity makes sense of the world. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you that you've given your Son that by weakness and defeat he won the prize and crown. He trod all our foes beneath his feet by being trodden down. God, teach us to overcome evil with love. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace, y'all. Thank you.